0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome on in. This is the Red Wire Fantasy Football Podcast, the preview show for week three. A lot of injury carnage this past weekend has led to a lot of crazy Uh, fab pickups this week and a lot of tough lineup decisions. So we are going to go ahead and run through the entire slate of games, breaking them all down, all the key fantasy angles, all that good stuff. Let's start the show. Welcome on in this is the Roadwire fantasy football podcast. I'm your host John McCKney that is Mario Puig. We are on to week three already Thursday Night football uh gets us started tonight but before we we dig into that game uh Mario any crazy uh pickups that you saw in, in your leagues this week I, I guess mostly it's a pointed question of what was the highest bid you saw for Jerome Ford? uh Ford was already rostered so i guess the next
2: thing was kareem hunt who uh went for about 40 just under 46 percent of someone's budget i strikes me as a bit high but uh you know we're we're i guess already nearing that point in the season where you have to wonder will this be the last chance that i get to so-called overpay on a fab target at all it's like maybe you'll save the money passing up on something like that and then never have anything to put the savings towards. So, uh, I, I think all things are pretty much permitted with, with high stakes, uh, early season, you know, season ending injury type speculative pickups, but, uh, yeah, bit, bit higher than I would have liked to have paid in that person's position. It's, it's a good to more so be the person who already had Jerome Ford.
1: Yeah, no, no, it absolutely is. Um, so in the fantasy pentathlon that, that Derek Van Riper puts on, um, I, I I bagged up for for Nick Chubb. I you know got him for like fifty or something in in the auction out of two hundred. Uh, he was you know going to be the guy, and uh, you know Ford was, was sitting out there on waivers. I kind of figured as the the person that lost Chubb, there, there's certainly no way that I can get outbid on this one. Uh, boy was I wrong. Uh, Jeff Erickson comes over the top with an eighty-eight percenter. Uh, on a bid. So uh, not only do I lose Nick Chubb, but I don't get anything back for it, except an $11 backup bid on one Pierre Strong. So we'll we'll see how that goes.
2: Yeah, I probably would have bid everything uh, just because I I don't know what. uh... So I would have been the person with the so-called crazy bid on Ford in any given league that I would have had the chance. I would have put up everything I had to get it. Because uh, I'm not so worried about the the other guys on the team, not worried about Kareem hunt, no. but uh, it's it's just like if Chubb was your second round pick or even first round pick, the whole calculus for your team's ability to compete depends on that variable that that Brown's backfield share of some amount, at least some amount, not as much as Chubb, but uh, this is the closest you're going to get to that figure. and so, yeah, I, I kind of uh like in the league where I had Chubb, I, I couldn't get Ford. So I, I do pretty much feel like it's like it's kind of busted now. And uh no no not likely anyway will I get a chance to uh you know pick someone up later who, who has that sort of season saving uh effect, or at least, you know, chance. It's not a certainty with Ford, but it's the only chance.
1: Yeah. As Cher once said, if I could turn back time. I would, I would go to 89.55. Yeah, that's right, man. Um, but, uh, but enough uh, sour grapes. We'll, we'll get back to, to the Browns backfield here uh, in, in due time, but we, we got to kick things off with the Thursday night game the, the 49ers are 10 and point favorites against the giants. That line hasn't really budged much uh, even despite Andrew Thomas, I believe being out and Saquon Barkley um, being out as well. Hertz's ankle it's not a high ankle luckily but um you know with the quick turnaround with the Thursday night game uh he will not be out there so are you buying the, this 10 and a half figure for the 49ers they look obviously fantastic so far they would have covered if not for a last second uh quote unquote meaningless field goal for it from the Rams last week obviously did what they did in Pittsburgh in week one in the Giants I mean they've you know they started the season in a 60 to zero hole through through six quarters. Uh, obviously we're able to pull off the, the, the comeback win, but how much credit do you really want to give them against the Cardinals who may have actually had a vested interest in not winning that (laughs) game. So, so it all in all, this is just a preamble to say, what are you looking for tonight?
2: Well, early in that giants Cardinals game, I, I had the thought occur to me like, wow, Daniel Jones is even worse than I thought. And then they caught up and they 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 won the game barely. And so, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not giving uh, a retraction on Daniel Jones is bad, but uh, we are at least back to Daniel Jones is merely as bad as I thought he was and not worse. And, uh, you know, people, uh, especially when when there's a, pl- a player like Jones that people have been kind of projecting hope onto so much, it's it's tempting to. Look, look at an event like this and be like oh he's on the upswing the, the redemption arc has begun and it's like no you don't really get redemption for falling down 30 to nothing to the cardinals or whatever it was it's just bad and if you if you catch up and a uh, dodge that bullet that's good but you, you just used one of your dodged bullets you know you only get to dodge so many bullets in a year and uh, you used one in the cardinals to avoid going 0 and 2 after starting, like you said, going down 60 nothing is not a good starting point. No matter how you respond, it's not good. It sets it sets back your odds for for the big picture. And uh, you know they're now dealing with these injuries. You know, not having Andrew Thomas seems to me like a pretty big deal. Not having Barkley is a big deal. Don't know much about this Brediston, but you know, being down two starters on the offensive line, Aziz Angel- O'Jalari is out too. So those are some good players, you know. Those, those are you know above average starters between Barkley, Thomas. I guess I don't know enough about Odelari to make that call, but he can't be below average. He's, he's I would sooner guess above average. As I was always well a big girl.
1: fan of his at Georgia,
2: but he, yeah, he, seems, always, be doing, yeah. he seems to be doing okay just, at least. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, not a kind of player that a team like the Giants needs to lose with a game like this. Uh, as far as the spread goes, and as far as why the spread isn't moving more than a half a point despite good good number of bets on the 49ers, I don't really know. I, I the only way I can see the Giants covering that is if the 49ers treat this as like a a freebie kind of, and I don't even mean so much just sleepwalking into the game. I'm not so worried so much worried about that, but they might not call as ambitious, especially on defense. They might not call. As uh, you know, exotic of play calls as they might if they were going against you know the Chiefs or whatever. So you don't need to use your whole playbook if you're the 49ers defense because your personnel advantages are so uh, pronounced, especially with a player like Thomas out for the Giants, that uh, you can kind of just run vanilla playbook and still keep the game under control. But are you going to keep it so in your favor that you're you're keeping a 10 point cushion all the way through? I guess that's the question I would still lean toward. Yes, they will, because to me, it seems like just a, you know, an offensive line that was already struggling being down two starters, including its best one seems to me like the kind of thing that can, you know, take a bad situation and make it worse than that, even if the 49ers are playing vanilla, because even if they're playing vanilla, whoever the you know four down linemen, that's a problem for the Giants right now. It doesn't matter if they're blitzing. Doesn't matter what those four guys are doing. It's like that's a problem in itself.
0: Yeah,
1: so we're looking at a a potential slog. I think the defense uh, on the Giants' side is going to have to play much better uh, than than it has through the first couple of weeks of of the season. Um, I guess beyond that, the the big fantasy wrinkle um, comes in in the form of that Giants' backfield. Um, Your thoughts on on how that's all going to be distributed? Are they going to be able to get any traction? It seems like it's fair to not expect much given the the offensive line injuries.
2: That and uh, I don't know what they think they're doing with the running backs. And, you know, last year, uh, Dable began the season with David Sills as one of his three down receivers. And they were scratching Darius Slayton at the time. <clears throat> and after like four weeks, whatever it was, Dable realized, oh, that w- wait, what? that, that's backward. And then he switched it and the offense got better for it. But I worry that he's doing the same thing in the backfield now. Maybe uh, maybe he hasn't even tried to really evaluate guys like Breida and Brightwell and Gray all that much. Maybe it's, he's, he just looks at running back, understandably, so as, oh, we have Barkley there. Barkley's whatever. I'll just focus on other stuff now. And you know if, if Barkley gets hurt, I'll look at it then. And I don't know what he thinks he's finding with guys like Breida and Brightwell, but they cannot play, especially Brightwell. He can't play from scrimmage. He can't do anything from scrimmage. Breida had five years ago or so a stretch where he was productive from scrimmage and for whatever reason it hasn't come back up including last year total dead from scrimmage so i think it's pretty clear in both of their cases that they just can't play especially brightwell and gray i think pretty clearly can play but we have to wonder or at least i'm wondering is gray third on the depth chart between those three players because dable thinks anything in particular about him or the other two even or is it because it's just the you know dable being a head coach wanting to look at whatever he does maybe he looked at the running back backups and just said you know just copy and paste what it said last year i don't care I, I i'm i'm brian dable the head coach of the giants i hate thinking about who the fourth running back is maybe that's exactly how he looked at it maybe now he's going to have to look at it and and consider it further and if he does i think gray clearly is the only option i like think i think the other two are just total duds nothing at all there to do about it So uh, that's another reason why I think this can get worse yet for Jones. I think uh, people take for granted that Jones is always teetering on the edge of like vague viability as a starter while Barkley is out there, while the defense is first allocating its resources toward Barkley. And if, you know, at the very least, if the 49ers are calling a vanilla game plan, I think it's offset by the fact that they're not going to spend every one of those plays first going, where's Barkley?
1: Yeah, the very good point. They're they're going to be able to focus their their attention pretty much solely on on uh, Mr. Danny Dimes. I I, I would like um, I'll have to pull it up, but uh, I I would imagine Daniel Jones will be pretty active as a runner tonight. Um, so I, I would take a gander at, at his rushing prop, maybe anytime touchdown. But um, so th- this could be an okay fantasy game for for Jones, just by extension of him uh, maybe taking on more of the rushing burden. But um, beyond that. I, I see this basically as, as the Giants clinging on and, and being in that half point, saving them as it's far as be, uh, the, the cover uh, goes. We're going to start another 40 run in this game. Oh, oh gosh. Uh, could be. It really could be. Um, let's grab a couple of quick questions here. Um, Lex wants to know, um, Christian Watson, DJ Moore, Roshan, Rashad White, and Brees Hall, we need two of them. Uh, for our flex,
2: uh, okay. Sorry, what is the latest? Is, is Hall? Is, is there something weird with him, or is he just working? I think,
1: I think he should be fine.
2: Okay, so I'm probably going with Hall for one of them, just kind of just because of kind of who he is. Uh, it seems to me like the Jets need to go to Hall, and I don't think uh, Dalvin Cook has a whole lot left. But if Christian Watson is in, it's tough to leave him out categorically too.
1: So, uh What about DJ yeah, I, Moore in, in this in this calculus? Yeah, I guess, He's kind of yeah, an interesting like, figure. Uh,
2: yeah, it's uh it's one of those things where if, if you could tell me what the coaching staff was doing ahead of time, it'd be helpful because I I worry that the Bears are a kind of dysfunctional that there's just not a whole lot to be done no matter how good the players are, but yeah, leaving in oh, man, taking out more would be tough do we know for sure that watson's going to play is that is that i think he, would, he was in?
1: limited on on wednesday so that's a positive relative uh, to the okay. first okay maybe weeks. maybe the two receivers more in watson
2: and maybe not hall but i'd i'd probably go i don't know hall and more i guess but i don't i don't know what i'm
1: doing with that uh, with that set of options honestly we we so we Brees Hall was limited in practice, but I think that that's just going to kind of be a thing with him uh, at this stage of the season anyway. So I don't know if there's too much to take away from, from that. And, you know, last week you're playing Dallas. He's pretty forgivable to, to not have like a huge game. Um, but beyond that, I, I think I'd probably go Watson if he's in and in uh, Brees Hall, but um, uh, DJ Moore ne- next three, I, I think. Um, Roshan and, and Rashad white are, are two guys that I would not be starting, um, from that, uh, grouping. Um, let's see here. Uh, that that'll do it, uh, for, for now. Um, let's get on to Sunday, but before then we got a message from our friends over at rival fantasy. If you're looking for a place to play head to head fantasy football games without the huge tournaments, salary caps, or complicated game types then rival fantasy is where you want to play this NFL season. From a twist on a classic game with Fancy Bingo, where players generate a lineup to complete achievements and get bingo, to -to head-to-head fantasy challenges where you'll pick which of two players will score more points, this is the best of fantasy sports. For the 2023 NFL season, Rival Fantasy is offering new users a $200 deposit match plus a $25 first play voucher. They're just giving you $25 on your first play. Rival Fantasy is so confident you'll love the experience They're giving you money to play right out of the gate, experience the future of fantasy sports on rival fantasy and become a rival today.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data
1: All right, Mario, on to Sunday. Let's kick things off at the big crab cake. Baltimore Ravens playing host to the Indianapolis Colts. Ravens, seven and a half point favorites in that one. I think that line has come down at least a point. Um, It's uh, it's bounced around a little bit. It was seven, then it was eight, and now it's seven and a half um, over the course of this week. Um, we we got to keep an eye, I suppose, on on Anthony Richardson's uh, status going into this one, of course. Um, but your thoughts initially on uh, how this game is looking?
2: Well, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Minshew did pretty good even replacing Richardson last week, so maybe the Colts' offense will be sort of okay. Either way, that I think makes a little sense, at least with Steichen being as good of an offensive coach as he's been or you know having the results that he's gotten to this point anyway. I think you can uh, have reason to figure that Steichen's a good one, probably above average. So that's uh, that's maybe going to stabilize the offense sort of regardless of the quarterback situation. What I don't know is what we can expect from the Ravens offense. Exactly. They've got a good number of injuries that they're dealing with. As always, and uh, let's see, we got Owe, that's a new one on defense this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't know what to make of Beckham, but one thing I'll say is the Ravens really need to get Rashad Bateman going, or they're going to be, like, I don't know how the math of the offense is supposed to work. Uh, even if you get Andrews going a little bit, I know even last week wasn't exactly a, a big game for him, but uh, they, they need to get they need to get certain players going in this setting, and it at once is favorable for that like the Colts secondary is not well suited especially to cover receiver rotations that have a good amount of depth like I think you're fine and you're fine and too wide against the Colts too it's not that you need to get to three and four but if you can get to three and four and if you can be credible with it and and by the way I don't consider Aguilar credible I know he had productive 20 snaps last week but I, I think uh given his career outcomes, you can, you can take for a given that that's going to come down, which makes it all that much more important that they get Bateman going, especially if, if Beckham's limited in this game. So um, yeah, I'm hoping and, you know, kind of expecting a pretty big game for Lamar here, but uh, feeling a little anxious because it's kind of like, it really needs to happen here. And if it does happen here, it's not even one of those things where it's like, Oh, we're in the clear now it's all good. Now it's like, we need to have a big game here just to kind of keep things from, you know, keep to keep the alarm from going off. And uh, just cause we dodge this one doesn't mean we're all good yet. Right.
1: And uh, you know, with, with, with Bateman, um, he definitely had more uh, routes and playing time last week than he did in the season opener. So, that, so that's encouraging. Although that, that can probably partially be explained by, by Beckham going out during that game. That also of course explains why Aguilar got into the mix but you know bateman I, I believe has caught all six of his targets but he shouldn't be getting three targets a game i think that that yeah
2: that number needs, target needs rate to come up. it's lagging real bad from his
1: his past rates
2: and it's like all that time in the past he was an above average producer for them with that target rate so it's one of those things that if it doesn't correct here they i don't think they're at serious risk of losing the game but it's one of those things like it needs to start correcting, or you just don't have, especially with Dobbins. I was like, you don't have the math in your favor here. You are in the corner now where you need like Aguilar to go for 140, and you don't want that. You don't want that to be the scenario you're dealing with.
1: Well, I, I will say that this does feel a lot different than, than years prior if we were talking about it, a, a Ravens banged up injury or a receiver room because it's like the, the drop off to Nelson Aguilar certainly not as extreme as say oh we got to get a lot of Seth Roberts going
2: yeah and uh I'll admit you know Aguilar is better than Demarcus Robinson it's just uh could have done a lot better with their free agent money This all even Beckham it's like I I love Beckham I I wish him the best but uh that that was their plan kind of shows they still didn't really uh they had the right idea as far as, you know, we got to do more at receiver. They didn't have the right idea of what does that even look like? What it, what it, what is, what is a good receiver group? Cause, uh, they paid 3 million, pretty much all guaranteed to Aguilar early in free agency. And to, I'm sorry, that's like, it, you're, you're just kind of either randomly picking players or you're sort of like picking former first rounders or something. Cause Aguilar has been just dust for a while. Um, but anyway, this, this is a spot where I think Lamar can get going. And, um, you know, is Humphrey out again? And I noticed he wasn't practicing yesterday.
1: He, if he's he's more likely than not going to miss this one I, in my estimation.
2: Well, yeah, uh, you know, not to not to say Richardson would be bad for the Colts offense, but especially if it's Minshew in there and espe- therefore, you know, taking some of those Richardson carries, turning them into passes, uh, particularly with Minshew. I think this is a good matchup for pretty much all the Colts receivers, but of course, especially Pittman.
1: Yeah, Pittman has – I feel like Indianapolis generally has looked better on offense this year than I would have thought. I thought personnel-wise and, you know, breaking in Anthony Richardson, I thought Richardson has, has looked very good. Steichen's um, you know, good too. It's, yeah, it, man. It helps to have a coach that knows what he's doing. Yeah, it's uh, – no, it, it absolutely is. And it's a nice change of pace for, from the previous uh, coaching regime there. Um, but one last detail here to, to monitor – as we go into the weekend is there could be some pretty nasty weather in, in the mid Atlantic region. So keep an eye on that as it stands. There's an 80% chance of rain in Baltimore on Sunday with, with uh, like 15 mile an hour winds. So keep an eye there. Uh, That could, you know, it's a, it's grass field um, and it could uh, steer things a little bit more towards a ground game. Justice Hill dealing with that turf toe, um, you know, that they signed, uh, Kenyon Drake to the practice squad on Wednesday God. so that that that's seems so to great. signal that they're not feeling great about Justice Hill's chances so I think this this could be a, a Gus bus showing
2: yeah I still uh, believe in Munkin you know but I, I kind of feel like these first few weeks assuming that's not GM pressure related it's like Munkin's kind of going through his early uh, 2022 Dable phase where he's he's not quite getting who his best players are because Gus Edwards is so much better of a pure runner than Justice Hill. And uh, I know Hill can do more as a pass catcher, but it's like, and you got to start taking those yards. You got easy yards there. Take it.
1: Yeah. And the offensive line is done well. I mean, with, with some missing pieces last week, still able to run for like almost 180 yards on the Bengals. And I think it was the lowest single game pressure rate on, on Lamar uh, in, in his career. So the, the line held up pretty nicely last week it, in spite of, you know, Ronnie Stanley and, and Linderbaum, uh, being sidelined. Um, let's get on over, uh, to a question here. Uh, Christian wants to know, uh, flex spot, Nico or Javante? Uh,
2: or Josh. Uh, oh yeah, know? well, oh yeah,
1: I, 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 it would be Josh Kelly. I, I almost just kind of, uh, auto ignored him. Okay. So, uh, yeah, let's see
2: Nico. And I can never remember, uh, man, that's tough. Cause even though the Broncos have been horrible, the the Miami run defense is kind of not good. Like one thing you can bet on with the dolphins, they got to get rid of, uh, or move anyway. Uh, what Raekwon Davis, is that that nose tackle who's six, seven, like that guy gets lifted pushed around constantly. So there should be room for Javante Williams to run in this game. And uh, yeah, I I, I I know Nico has done really well, but he's, if this makes any sense, he's almost done so well through the first two weeks that I'm expecting him to slow down a little bit soon. And I don't know why it would be against the Jaguars, but it, sometimes that stuff just happens for no particular reason. And uh, at the very least, you know, uh, Javante is going to be part of the game plan either way for the Broncos. And, and whereas Nico, I'm like, I don't know if he's going to maybe have a game where he goes 40 snaps with only three or four targets, you know, uh, that kind of stuff happens. So I'd probably go with Javante Williams, but I, I totally understand why, you know, someone might want to go with Nico just because the Texans should throw quite a bit. He's of course started red hot. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard for me to see anything super concerning with the matchup, but if he does get Tyson Campbell, that could be a tougher matchup than, you know, the, looking at the over under might lead one to think
1: okay it's um it's very close we have them ranked uh 66th and 69th respectively in our flex rankings this week so it really is you know close to a coin flip i probably side with with um with nico and in ppr just because the texans i think are like top three in passing volume they they just seem to be down to just let CJ Stroud turn it loose and see what happens. So I I could see another high target volume game from Collins, even if the efficiency comes down a little bit. um, I think he'll, he'll be able to post a nice score for you. So I I think you're in a good spot either way, if you're having to decide between these two, but uh, my, my upside lean, it would be Collins and my um, floor lean would would be Javante. If that makes sense. Um, Let's uh, continue on. I think we, we covered everything that we needed to from that Baltimore game. Let's go titans browns browns just got embarrassed uh on monday night uh maybe the scoreboard didn't show it but i I thought that was a pretty abysmal uh showing from them for the the most part i uh luckily for them uh tj watt and alex highsmith do not play uh for the tennessee titans so you you got to figure that's that's good um but beyond that um let's Let's you know get into what everyone is thinking. Um, is Deshaun Watson going to turn things around? Which one is he? Is he the, the one from the first week or, or more so the second week? And, and how do the Browns recalibrate after losing Nick Chubb?
2: Well, I think Jerome Ford's the clear guy for now. I know they signed Kareem Hunt, but I would sooner attribute that to limitations with Pierre Strong. If anything, uh, Jerome Ford... Not able to take on the volume that Chubb would. Not going to maintain the efficiency. You know, uh, he had that really explosive game, of course, against Pittsburgh. But that was his first, uh, the first bit of daylight he's actually found as a runner in the NFL at all. So it's it's uh, it's not going to be the five yards a carry over twenty x. You know, carries like like with Chubb it always was. Uh, however, Ford should still be something like a top fifteen, top twenty kind of fantasy back in my opinion. Like he seems like a totally decent player. He would have started over Brian Robinson at Alabama if Ford hadn't transferred to Cincinnati, and uh, you know he might have had a he might have been a higher draft pick there for all I know, uh, rather than going in the fifth at Cincinnati. So uh, I think Ford's pretty good. He he's, he's uh, got a pass catching skill set too. So it it's one of those things where he should uh, it should be easy for the Browns to sort of leave him on the field for forty snaps a game. There shouldn't be many situational things that lead them to question that there should just be like you know Ford's an option most of the time for for pretty much any play call so uh yeah I, I, I'm not so optimistic for Kareem Hunt but yeah there should be some slack I don't know six to eight carries or whatever uh with Ford that didn't exist with Chubb uh as uh as with uh as to Deshaun Watson I have no idea uh that guy uh th- You know, I I hoped that he would bounce back this year, and I thought that he would. But part of that too was like I I thought Nick Chubb would be the running back, and so uh, with no Jack Conklin at right tackle, no Nick Chubb at running back, I I don't make that leap of faith with Deshaun Watson as easily now. You know, as as I would have with those two other players being present. So I do think it's possible that Watson still gets it together. I think the Cincinnati defense in Week One, I I think they're a good defense. So. I can kind of excuse the bad game there and the Pittsburgh defense, you know, they, like you said, they got those two pass rushers who can go over a sack of game over a a whole year. That's, uh, you know, going to Pittsburgh, the, the, the the whole just environment of your star running back, having a gruesome injury like that. I don't know if that kind of just wrecked the whole, you know, the focus level, everything. I don't know, but, I don't have nearly as much optimism as I did, you know, a week ago, two weeks ago. And if Watson can't get going against the Titans, it's, you know, not going to happen. Cause one thing I'll say about Ford is, is, uh, he probably can't run on the Titans. You know, that's more of the kind of category that only Nick Chubb can really do stuff like that. So, uh, I'm not expecting a good game from Ford here as a runner and that makes it more important yet that Watson does well as a passer. And you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that if I had to call it, I'd say he has a better game this week than the first two, but
1: not because I really have any great idea why. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's not looking great for, for Cleveland. Things were looking so good after after the first week, but you know, last week was um a crash back back down to earth. On on the Tennessee side of things, um what do you think what do you make of uh Derrick Henry? Playing sixty percent of the snaps, and Tajay Spears playing forty-five.
2: Well, Henry's one of those guys who uh, he gets the ball so often that he doesn't need the snap count that other running backs do to get as many or more carries. And they're also targeting him a lot more rapidly than in the past. So even last year, they were targeting him more than they had in previous seasons. That was forty targets on six hundred and nineteen snaps. He's up to seven targets on seven on 70, 74 snaps. So he's we'll see if they maintain that, but he's doing about a target every 10 snaps and that's in addition to getting 25 carries on 46 snaps, you know. So they're giving Henry a bunch of work and it seems like the snaps that are going to Spears, enough not that they're not, you know, touch plays, Spears is getting the ball too, but it seems to me that it's just kind of uh like they they targeted a certain number of snaps each week where they want to just get Henry off the field. Uh, I guess to get a more rest basically, but it's not seeming to affect his, uh, you know, touch count. So Spears is interesting. As long as he's playing that many snaps, I I don't know what I expect it all to look like. It's, it's hard to uh, it's hard to evaluate this Titans offense in generally uh, in general, because their offensive line is so bad and it's, it's, uh, it's probably going to define their whole year. Uh, It's already you know, been a big storyline for them. It's just, it's kind of gotten s- pushed aside by uh, some of the other things that have gone on in the first two weeks. Some of the, you know, some of the, the drama of the first two weeks, but when, you know, the when the sample size gets bigger and people are looking at the uh, Tennessee season as a whole, it's just going to have this recurring story of the the whole way through of like, Oh, the offensive line, you know, that the offensive line is, is the story uh, and it's not good. They're, they're all really bad. So I Tannehill basically can't function, and we're not really getting a good look at the quality. We're not getting a good number of, like, quality targets for everybody who's running routes, and, and that includes Spears. So he's got six targets already, which is pretty good usage for 55 snaps, but he only has three catches for seven yards. And, you know, that, you need to see that sample improve, but based on what he's done so far, it's like, you know, he he maybe could have done a better job. I don't know, but the, the target quality
1: is so bad. You can't even really evaluate what Spears is doing with it. No, that, that's, that's very true. It's been, you know, rip, pretty rough. I, I I could say for, for Tannehill, uh, th- thus far, he was efficient last week if, if nothing else. So that that's they might set a record.
2: Of- they might set some kind of record for like the most hits taken while, you know, having a, pass attempt volume like some offense from the 60s they're giving up like eight sacks a game and 10 hits it's crazy and it's we're gonna see like worse days yet too they haven't really been strained that much it could be miles garrett it could be this defensive line that really kind of makes us
1: realize how bad it can get oof well okay well said uh so the browns three point favorites in that one over under 39 and a half so expected to be kind of a a bit of a rock fight in. taking place, uh, yes, in, in Cleveland on Sunday. Um, this one, a little bit uh, sunnier uh, of an outlook. We got an over-under of 46.5. We're looking at the Lions versus the Falcons. Pretty interesting matchup. That This slate doesn't feature a ton of them, so we got to take, take them when we can get them. And Falcons, 2-0, flying high. Um, they are three-point or three-and-a-half-point uh, dogs on the road. Lions. I mean, what what do you take away for, from last week, and and then obviously what we've seen from Atlanta these first two games, and and you know what what does this uh, end up looking like that uh, there at Ford Field?
2: Well, I think that the Lions. Uh, I don't know. They, they they did a good job against the Seahawks, but I think the Seahawks' defense is kind of busted. Uh, certainly. While it was a great game for Josh Reynolds and, of course, a a great call by John to uh, stoke the the Josh Reynolds hype uh, in time for that game uh, beforehand. uh, It is one of those things where if you're the Lions, you have to assume Reynolds is going to incur some regression now. Like they can't really go into week three believing there's as good of a chance that Reynolds makes those plays as they could have in week two. You know, like otherwise they're forcing themselves to believe something like Josh Reynolds is going to have, you know, 1300 yards and 15 touchdowns this year, which it's possible, but it's like, those are the choices, you know, he either regresses or, or that happens. And if he regresses, wouldn't it have been nice for Amon Ross St. Brown to not be dealing with this toe injury and who knows what it even is. Uh, Hopefully it's not a real turf toe. Hopefully it's just some other kind of, you know, toe discomfort because a real turf toe, it's not that easily managed, and you know he's not. It's not like Terry McLaurin where he's going to get a couple weeks off, uh, or you know, unless they scratch him for this game. Anyway, it seems like they're going to try to kind of manage it and just see what he can handle. And you know, pain tolerance. There's no doubt St. Brown's one of those you know crazy guys who can oh, yeah. handle however much pain there is. The the concern that I have is like, is it making him a less effective player though while he is on the field? And I'm worried about that. So particularly if they can't get Jameer Gibbs going, I don't know where the numbers are supposed to come from in this offense. You know, Khalif Raymond can make a, a big play time to time. You don't really want him playing 40 snaps in a game though. If you're playing 40 snaps with Raymond, it's like a couple guys got hurt or you fell down two scores in the first quarter. So it's got to fall to Gibbs. Uh, Laporta ha- Laporta has done a great job and should continue to do a really good job, but they need something to offset the likely regression incoming for Reynolds, and it's just Gibbs or nothing. So uh, they gotta get him going here. Uh obviously with Montgomery situation being what it is, it was it was kind of um that was something that was the case initially anyway. So it's twofold, you know, they gotta get him going as a ball carrier to and to replace Montgomery and they have to get him going as a pass catcher to help offset the incoming regression at the receiver reps. So that that kind of makes me anxious for them, despite the matchup being seemingly good and you know being indoors, uh, two offensive lines that are playing well. If the ball is moving and everybody's logging plays, then it kind of begets you know more and more plays for everybody, more uh, yardage to go around for everybody. But I I don't know how much that general rule can carry. The alliance offense if if reynolds does slow down at all in this game so uh it also could just be like well reynolds just has another big game that that's the other way the, the gap gets bridged but if you're the falcons you would probably as much as you could put aj terrell on reynolds as long as that's the case as long as the other one's going to be marvin jones or whatever else so uh we'll see the, the falcons got some things to think about on defense but uh, the falcons offense seems pretty straightforward for their own part it's you know uh Generally B. John Robinson slash hot hand at running back and uh one or two pass catchers in a given week. But but not Kyle Pitts because he only never gets, Kyle Pitts. He, he only gets interfered with, uh, which is not a fantasy stat. Uh
1: unfortunately it, it is not. We're working on that, but um as it stands, um P I OPI is drawn or DPI is drawn, uh that not really uh, he's helping you out too much. He's literally interfered
2: with at something like five times the frequency that guys like Andrews and Kelsey are, but, uh, that however many uh, catches for however many yards does not go in the, uh, the, the, the box score.
1: Nope. Nope. Oh, sad, but, um, circling back fun. on, <laughs> circling back on, uh, the, the lions for, for a moment, uh, with this Dave Montgomery injury uh, and we love Dan Campbell, we're, we're, we're Dan Campbell guys, but I feel like unfortunately this does not if Montgomery is out, you know, we had some conflicting reports from Montgomery versus Campbell earlier this week. I'm week to week. Uh, He's day to day. Actually don't don't listen to him. It's only his quad, but um, (laughs) I I don't know if this signals Jameer Gibbs being unleashed and maybe I'm being uh, naive here, but it feels like they're, they're going to keep the roles the same and they'll just bump maybe Craig Reynolds into um, the, the Dave Montgomery role, maybe scale it back a little bit, but, um, I, I could see Craig Reynolds being uh, like potentially with, at least worth rostering that this week. I don't know if you're you're in yeah. dire straits enough to start him, um, but I, I think that there there's some you know pulse here if nothing else with with Reynolds.
2: Yeah, uh, it seems like you know it's unlikely they give Gibbs like 20 carries or whatever. But I will say, all the more reason I, I'm kind of leaning Falcons in this game. It's just like. If you're Dan Campbell, you need to get your best players on the field. You know, the players that you can conceivably extract the most production out of. You have to find a way to make those scenarios occur for them. And Craig Reynolds, maybe aesthetically, he's more similar to David Montgomery than Jameer Gibbs is. But he cannot, in any scenario at all, get you as much as Gibbs can at his best. And, you know, it's it's just not it's it's not acceptable to me. It's like a failure of coaching to let any other thing occur. If, if you are putting a lesser player on the field because you didn't get the, the, the more capable one prepared, that's just saying you didn't do your job as a coach. So uh, while I do like Dan, he does seem to struggle to get this in my opinion. And uh, it's something that will limit him and eventually undo him as a head coach. If he doesn't get it right, but it's, it's as simple as this. We saw what Deandre Swift did with the Eagles last week we know that the lions already had him on the roster and traded him for a fourth round pick. And then they spent an 11th overall pick on a player who ostensibly was supposed to replace him, And they haven't even gotten him ready to do that. They're, they're going with maybe Craig Reynolds, as you were saying, instead of him, you as a person allocating a team's resources, cannot expect to win doing things like this. And if you, for some need, some reason in your mind need to get rid of swift, uh, because you decided he can have 160 yards for another team, but not yours, then you are very, very specifically, you know, pinpointedly naming yourself as the issue, holding back the team from producing the way that it could, but hasn't. So uh, I hope Dan gets it together and understands that it's not as important about, it's not as important what Dan thinks or what, dan feels like about a practice rep in training camp or in, in the practice in the week it's not a it's not as important the way a guy finishes a rep as much as what that guy is capable of and it's your job to get him to that point whatever it is and if they're looking at it in a way where craig reynolds is a serious option for them over jameer gibbs they're not winning many more games this year
1: yeah and so that that's something that gets needs to get uh nipped in the bud here um if the Lions are, are to be taken as seriously as everyone seems to want to um, our guy, James, uh, who, who earlier in the chat was, was mentioning, uh, that the heartache of being a big Dobbins and Chubb guy like, like us, uh, you Sorry, know, we, James. we feel your pain, but James has an interesting question. And I, I, I find this particularly interesting in, in light of Cam Akers, uh, no longer being on the Rams and Kyron Williams being who he is. It's a shallow bench. It's just six man bench. But do you think that Zach Evans is worth a stash?
2: Well, the Rams, who do they have? Ronnie Rivers and Kyron Williams. That's the only other running backs they have other than Zach Evans.
1: we so. Man,
2: that's crazy. Um, I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if they signed somebody at some point, but yeah, Kyron Williams, I, even him, man, it's going to, they're kind of burning him pretty hot right now. And I wouldn't be surprised if he he runs out of steam. Certainly he's not going to keep up the general level of production that he has. So uh, Zach Evans is the best pure runner between himself, Williams, and Rivers. However, I'll give this to Williams. He's very good on passing downs, and so is Rivers. So yes. the problem is we need at least one of those guys to get hurt for Evans to not just get some number of carries, but to get some number of carries and basically no target opportunities. So six-man six bench sounds a little shallow to me. I I'd have to kind of know who you're cutting to pick up Evans, I guess. And I, I, I'm a little worried about giving the green light over just anyone.
1: Yeah. I think, I think, you know, uh, your, your heart's in the right place if you're thinking about Zach Evans right now. Um, but maybe, maybe wait a week. I I know that that can obviously blow up in your face, you know, that now all of a sudden everyone else is going to be on him. If he, if he does anything,
2: let me um, say this, this if it's, If it's like Nick Chubb you you have to drop anyway and add Evans, sure. Uh if it's if it's like an empty spot, nothing wrong with having Evans at all. I just I just don't want you to cut someone who uh you know is is like whatever, ten spots ahead in the ranking, uh, but doesn't have some sort of recent news to get us, you know, thinking about them.
1: Would you cut Pierre Strong for for Zach Evans?
2: I probably would, but I wouldn't want to like pay fab to do it. And I wouldn't feel strongly about it. That's totally just flipping coins in my head, you know?
1: Totally. All right. So we, we got an idea of, of how to value Zach Evans for, for now. We'll see if he can uh, start to get a role. I mean, he was a beast coming out of high school. He was good at TCU, pretty good at Ole all. Right. Ole Miss. Um, yeah, no, he absolutely can. Um, we'll, we'll just kind of have to see what happens. It, it does ha- have some uh, tough, you know, maybe to the uninitiated, that they, they don't know, but it, it relatively tough roadblocks ahead of them. With I, I think Rivers was was a great pass catcher in college, out of the backfield, and, and Kyron Williams, um, really good in in the pass pro, and I think he can do just enough. It seems like you know if the the Viking, or I'm sorry, if the Rams were willing to trade Acres away, that's it, a pretty strong endorsement. I feel like of of Kyron Williams at, uh, at this stage. Um, let's get on over to Lambeau field we got the packers hosting the saints packers two point favorites in this matchup uh packers just like last week still a bit banged up um but uh beyond that the saints you know they beat the panthers and they beat the titans but that doesn't doesn't really move the needle a whole lot yeah the
2: uh saints i don't know they they're they're not looking great as you said they're they're kind of winning uh by just fortunate circumstance of easy schedule and you know the the Titans being a mess. Uh, but I also think that when you have as many new pieces moving pieces, uh especially on offense as the Saints have, it makes sense that they would start slower than they finish. so yeah, they haven't done great, but they you know a, they did it during the time of the year where it's you know they, they their schedule can afford it and B. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to keep struggling. So uh with that said, the running back situation is a little interesting. I guess if if Williams is out, Kendry Miller either gets thrown in to some extent or it's just Tony Jones more so. And I can't tell if the Tony Jones thing last week was uh, you know, reflective that they consider Jones ahead of Miller, more or less, or if it was one of those things like well we you know game planned all week with the expectation that williams wouldn't get hurt and so we didn't game we didn't practice rep miller as if to prepare him for a workload whereas jones we already have had work with him and uh, we'll just have him hanging around uh, for the, for the backup purposes it's possible that with williams hurt and them having this week to practice they might have prioritized miller more than they had room to in the in practice last week so We'll see. Uh, I guess you got to defer to Jones for the most part, especially if they, you know, trusted him enough to give him passing down reps and all that. Maybe Miller is specifically trying to catch up in that one capacity uh, as much or more than, than his health. I don't really know, but if Tony Jones is the running back, then I don't think they can expect much production at all from the backfield. Like he's one of those guys who like almost any running back who might be on an NFL roster at any point, he could stumble into whatever 12 good carries he, he maybe even 15 in a game. He might he might be able to give you 12 carries for 60 yards at some 12 carry stretch of his career. But if he does, it's crashing back down soon and you know even that initial good stretch is not likely to happen. He's more so apparently here because he doesn't screw up in blitz pickup and you know maybe not a single other thing. So if the Saints are taking a zero in the backfield, then it really means Carr needs to step up and is Carr really going to step up uh, in his third game. After two games of struggles going to Lambeau field of all places, I don't really see it. So I can imagine the saints kind of laying a dud here. And uh, aside from the Olave can't be stopped disclaimer, I don't know that I expect anything on this offense uh, in this particular game. Uh, as much as Thomas Shahid, I think Johnson's been totally decent too. Like those guys are all good, but I think Carr might drag them down here.
1: Yeah, it it's it could be a tough spot. Um I feel like the, the Packers defense is better this year than than it was certainly uh last year. Um we'll, we'll see what's up with Aaron Jones. I don't believe he was practicing on Wednesday and Christian Watson um of course still uh has yet to make his uh 2023 debut and he was a uh limited Uh, participant on Wednesday. So we'll we'll see if he's ready to rock. Um, Matt actually has a question about him. Uh, Would you feel comfortable uh, rolling Christian Watson out there if he is active uh, on Sunday?
2: Yeah, I mean, it depends on what the alternative is, but it's it's a how do I explain it? It's it's a little bit weird of a matchup for for Watson, but I think it ultimately might be an okay one. It's it's difficult in a way, because Marshawn Lattimore, uh, Paulson Odebo, Alante Taylor, they're all tall and they can all really run. So Watson's normal advantage is that he's tall and is faster. And those corners are kind of built specifically to counter a receiver like Watson. However, if if we're right to think that Carr maybe struggles in this game, then uh, the Packers could have the ball a lot, maybe even in, in good field position. And, AJ Dillon, meanwhile, I mean, Aaron Jones wasn't in practice as of yesterday. I don't know if that maybe that'll change, but particularly if Jones is out, then the Packers only option is to basically run into, you know, bang their head against the wall with Dylan to maybe no particular effect. And the other option is to kind of just start chucking the ball. And I think there, what it might look like in practices, if, especially if Jones is out, they kind of lean on Dylan a lot. they run a lot with Dylan, not necessarily expecting much. But doing it just so they can make as high of a percentage of possible as possible of Love's pass attempt volume to be play action deep shots to Watson. So he if if he's getting that that could lead to more target share than usual, which would hopefully offset you know maybe any decreased efficiency in a tough matchup. But if Watson gets you know eight targets on fifty five snaps, he could end a game with something like two catches for sixty yards and a touchdown. Which would, in a way, look like a struggle, but still have, you know, he just needs that one big play, and I I think the Packers kind of really need
1: it in this matchup. Yeah, I think so as well. The the alternatives, uh, just for full context, would be Watson versus uh, Zay Flowers, Christian Kirk, or Josh Kelly, provided that Austin Eckler is out again.
2: Uh, sorry. Who do the Chargers have? They got the Vikings. They kind of (laughs) suck. Well, if 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 Veckler is out, I might go with Kelly of that group, just because, you know, any running back who's starting and going against kind of a bad defense is oftentimes valuable in fantasy. But otherwise, I'd lean. I I guess particularly if the weather's really bad in Baltimore, then I'd I'd lean. I think
1: Watson after Kelly. But I I don't feel strongly about it either way. Okay. All right. So I, I would start Watson if, if he's ready to go. And then um, probably, probably Christian Kirk se- second. Um, just be uh, because uh, I think the matchup is, you know, pre- pretty, pretty options there. As- yeah, yeah, definitely. And then real quickly, uh, yay or nay on uh, stashing Wandale Robinson. NFFC, uh, so deeper bench.
2: I kind of like it a little more in NFFC that full point PPR helps Wandale. He needs Paris Campbell out of the way, and that could happen. It might not happen. I don't really know, but that's what's in the way the the slot role of Paris
1: Campbell. Okay, all right, looking out for it. But I, I think you know if you have an obvious drop, um, stashing Wandale would would, would be um, good prospect. It, yeah, no, he absolutely was. I loved watching Wandale at, at Nebraska and at Kentucky both. Uh, before we get on over to our next game, uh, we got a message from our friends over at Better Vision. I think we can all agree that fantasy sports are awesome. So is daily daily fantasy sports and sports betting. That's why we have so many friggin' accounts. Boy, I do, don't we? I think I'm on like seven or eight different platforms. It's it's bad. Uh, what's not awesome is going to a bunch of different apps to find the best odds and manage your fantasy lineups. Enter Better Vision. That's B E T T O R Vision. Better Vision is the only app that syncs all your fancy DFS and sportsbooks accounts in one place. We only show you the best odds for every bet, so you always get the best value. And our dashboard is the only one-stop shop to track all of your fancy matchups, DFS picks, and bets. Visit BetterVision.com, or I'm sorry, BetterVision.us, to download. Better Vision today. Again, that's bettervision.us. Vivid Seats football is back. Kick off the NFL season with Vivid Seats and score tickets to all the hottest matchups and biggest games of the year. Catch every pass, every tackle, every heart pounding play of your favorite team live and in person. And with Vivid Seats rewards, now you earn rewards with every single purchase. Each ticket gets you closer to your reward. Just buy 10 tickets, then simply cash your credit towards your 11th purchase. It's that easy. Plus, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code ROTOWIRE. That's R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E. From the 50-yard line to the upper deck, Vivid Seats has great tickets for all the 2023 games that matter to you. Just visit vividseats.com or download the app today. We have a lot of games to cover here, so we will get rocking here. We got Jags, Texans, Jags home eight and a half point favorites against the plucky Texans. Uh, Your thoughts here. The Jaguars offense looked pretty out of sorts last week. How how forgivable is that in your mind against uh, the Chiefs?
2: I think the Chiefs defense is good, but it's still a bad look for the Jaguars. I don't know what explanation there really is. I know... There was there was a couple of drops for Christian Kirk that kind of led the offense to sputter a little, but it's not enough to explain the sum of dysfunction that they had. So, I have trouble blaming anybody other than pretty much the play caller, and that's
1: you know so not Press Taylor.
2: Press Taylor. Yeah. I don't know what specifically they would be doing differently than, you know, last year when Doug Peterson was the play caller, but the results just aren't good enough. And I know one thing I would say is, is a problem is the Jamal Agnew usage at all. I think it's just categorical nonsense that a player like him gets used. It's just a stupid idea. Uh, It's I know what the, the allure of the idea is, I know it's, it's like a coach goes, Uh, one time they go against a gadget play and they're like, What the heck was that? How did that guy that was that was tough to stop, huh? And it's like, Yeah, it's tough to stop because you weren't game planning for it because you weren't expecting it. If you were game planning for the end around, if you were game planning for uh stupid gadget play, you'd stop it every time because the only reason it works is that you're not expecting it and it doesn't have anything to do with the player, uh, it doesn't warrant. (laughs) Scaling up a player's role because they did a good job on a trick play. That's just ridiculous. And so what you have with a guy like Agnew is you're giving him 15 to 25 snaps a game that go to complete waste. And the one times that he does anything productive are the time that the defense just kind of forgets that he's out there, which they stop doing. Once you start putting him out there 15 or 25 times, when you start putting him out there that much, they start going, hey, you know that guy who doesn't block ever, who they only immediately give a screen pass or an end around whenever he goes onto the field? He's on the field now, guys. And so you get, you know, plays like Agnew just dropping that ball in the backfield for the fumble. You get a lot of plays where uh, the defense is just on it and it turns out they ran this scripted play right into the defense's teeth because the defense knew it was coming on the basis of that guy being on the field at all. So they got to cut that out of the offense. They're not good enough to waste 15 snaps a game like that. Like they have been. So with, even with that said, if they, if they remove Agnew, they got more problems to figure out still. And to me, the solution is as simple as like, you just keep throwing at Ridley and Kirk and you give the ball to Travis ETN. And that is, they, they don't do a good enough job in my opinion of using the, the ETN's carries in a situationally advantageous way. Uh, they seem to waste a lot of his reps on stupid play calls and, and in situations that, you know, they, they, they need at certain points of the game to make plays more urgently than they do others. And I don't know how good of a job they're they're doing of of making sure their assets line up for, for those considerations. Um, maybe they've just struggled for no reason at all. Maybe they're just going to have some good luck now. I don't know, but uh, it's either that, or it's like they need to get ET on the ball more because uh, something is out of balance, otherwise, and and just the idea of like, oh, we'll we'll get we'll we'll call some cool new looking plays, like that's not really your issue. You have like a foundational
1: problem. Is Houston going to be the team that that cures what ails them, though?
2: Well, Stanley yeah. being out certainly, uh, I'd say that it helps, but it more so kind of just leaves the Jaguars with fewer excuses, and it's uh, it's not going to be handed to them. Like they need to actually make the plays and you know Steven Nelson Tavir Thomas those are still two other good corners for the Texans so uh the Jaguars maybe they've kind of failed on the basis of bad luck through two games I don't know but they they can't really just expect this to be like an easy setting you know they, they, they need to actually play well for their own part and if they don't, uh, they could lose this game, even though it seems kind of hard to believe. The, the reason I think they won't is more so to do with the Texans' offense dealing with some difficulties on the offensive line.
1: Yeah, they, they are really banged up there. The, the Texans, uh, I believe, have run the third most plays in the NFL thus far, so obviously playing from behind a lot um, will will skew things that way. Yes, the, uh, third in the league behind only the, the Rams and the Browns, interestingly enough, but they've mustered uh, two touchdowns so far so um not looking awesome for for the Texans I I would not use the Jags and Survivor though I'm, I'm gonna leave that one alone there, there's a there's enough other kind of big mismatches this week to where I'm, I'm gonna I'm not gonna mess around with with the potential of D'Amico Ryan's get banking his first win uh in the division let's go Broncos Dolphins Dolphins six and a half point favorites looking like one of the more impressive teams in the AFC thus far the Broncos had a nice little meltdown against Washington uh that this past week
2: it's not as funny now but it's it's still pretty funny uh the I don't get as much uh comedic effect from Sean Payton as I did Nate Hackett but Russell Wilson what can you say it's the it's the exact same show as last year it's brutal and uh even as bad as it's been, the Broncos probably could have won each of their first two games if they just played Marvin Mims more than nine snaps. But football's hard, John. It's Sometimes it's hard to tell if Marvin Mims is good. It's it's hard to tell if you could use more catches like the last two uh, that amounted to 150 yards. It's, it's easy for you to say, John, that that guy should play more and get the ball more because it's cool to catch 50-yard passes multiple times in a game but you don't know what it's like to be a head coach. So it's just easy for you to say that. Yeah. But counterpoint, uh, Brandon Johnson, Brandon Johnson, you know, he's, Need the more that. Four, he's the number four receiver for UCF at like 27 years old. And, <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty arrogant of you, John, to just assume he's not maybe better than Marvin Mims. That's what I'm and, here for. But uh, yeah, so th- this is why, uh, this is why things work this way. And, uh, as far as you the, if you're the dolphins, you know, it's, it's why you're probably going to very easily win this game. You might worry about your six and a half point spread. If you're the dolphins and you had to cover Marvin Mims some number of times, but if you have to cover Brandon Johnson, who's going to score from 80 on you, you know, is it, is Brandon Johnson? I mean, maybe probably Mm -hmm. not, but uh, Marvin Mims can do it. The the Broncos to this point have said, uh, no, thanks. We're pretty good. We're, we're really good. Actually. Uh, and now they've lost twice at home. Normally, like a very safe place in September for the Broncos, but uh, now they get to travel to Miami oh and two. and yes, it can get worse. It definitely can get worse.
1: Oh, yeah. and like I just remember, I guess it might have been this week a year ago when the when the bills went down there and it was like a zillion degrees on the on the road sideline uh, in in Miami it'd be pretty Cleveland. hilarious if if the
2: broncos get blown out in week three because they uh they're the ones with bad conditioning or something <laughs> Just, they're gonna they might i said the cardinals would go oh and 17 but it might be the broncos they they might be in a deadwood style
1: uh thoroughfare fight for that owen 17 Um, you know, to, to your point on, on Peyton, uh, yeah, definitely not the most sympathetic figure and certainly hasn't like helped that, that cause, uh, since taking over for the Broncos. He might
2: bail, dude. He might just bail. They might've traded a first rounder for that. uh, Nice job, George Baton. Killing it,
1: George. Right on. And, you know, Mr. Elway, uh, just wonderful stuff too. Um, but, yeah beyond that yeah i feel great about all the all the using all the dolphins in this one um was Waddle back in practice uh yet
2: oh i don't know man that guy has practiced like a half dozen times in two years full practices anyway so i always just assume he's listed as questionable and assume he's always fine but i guess a concussion is a little different than the the myriad body ailments that he's played through over the last two years um See, so not getting anything new for you. I'm not sure what to think about that. But if if Waddle were to miss the game, I, I think the Dolphins would be fine. But admittedly, I get a little bit more concerned about that six and a half if if there's no Waddle, just because I don't know other than Tyreek Hill where you get yardage out of this offense. I know Raheem Mostert had a really big game. River
1: Craycraft, <laughs>
2: River Craycraft, simple. Yeah. And our backup running back is Eric Ezukama, but I think, uh, yeah, you need you need Hill to have a monster game if Waddle is out, or else I, I don't really see how the Dolphins cover unless it's a defensive touchdown.
1: Yeah, it, again, it, for for our everything that you look at for this game would steer you towards the the Dolphins, and therefore give me the Broncos plus six and a half. <laughs> just bathing yeah. in the mud over here
2: it could if if hill doesn't go if waddle is out and hill does not go over 100 the the dolphins could be in a little bit of trouble but the, it would definitely be because of the under hit
1: it, yes absolutely and the the over under in that one 48 and a half let's get to another um high total game this week uh, this one i believe that the highest uh by a decent little bit we have the chargers going to minnesota to face the vikings um, split action, uh, over here points bet has the chargers as one point home or uh road dogs and FanDuel has the Vikings as one and a half point, uh, home underdogs. So a little bit interesting how, how the books are, are viewing this one. These are two teams that I love to bet against. Um, <laughs> hmm, 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 hmm. What, what's going on with the chargers, man? This is, this is, this is getting, du- uh, late early for for the chargers here
2: yeah this is a real goof off between uh two titans of analytics in brandon staley on one side and uh the the questie o'connell regime with the vikings and uh the success has not been uh as immediate as as you know the number as the data would normally tell us john but in this game uh, you know so the the chargers I think we can say they've at least played some wily opponents. I know that the Vikings played the Eagles. That's, that's certainly a, you know, that, that's more of a dominant opponent. That's just like, it's okay that they lost the Eagles. There's no way they're beating the Eagles, but the way they lost against the Buccaneers was pretty ridiculous. And I would not call the Buccaneers as justifiable of a loss as I would the dolphins or even the Titans, just because of kind of the variable factor. There's no variable factor with the Buccaneers. It's just Baker Mayfield. And that you know doesn't quite register the same way so i i think the chargers have a better excuse than the vikings have for their failures but i also think that the chargers have kind of the better roster overall so i i think you know the, i i would at once expect the chargers to have the advantage here uh but it's like i i they haven't earned the benefit of the doubt and you know if, if they did continue to do some sort of underachievement in the form of not seizing that talent advantage. It wouldn't be shocking. I just kind of would be a little surprised that it would be against the, the Vikings. Cause it's like the Vikings are trying to fail faster. You know, they're, 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 they're incompetent faster than whoever is going against them. And that I think even includes Staley, but uh, it is concerning. I mean, I thought Kellen Moore would have had more explosiveness out of the Chargers' passing game to this point, And instead it's uh, not really been any different than last year. So, in this game, if there's no Eckler, it is pretty dangerous for the Chargers because uh, they're not going to be able to run as well as Eckler would have. I know Kelly, I was just mentioning before, he's probably a fine start. He probably is, but he's not getting them the same return yardage per snap touchdowns per snap as Eckler. That's just objectively fact. And yet uh, the production has not picked up for the rest of the Chargers pass catchers. So uh Justin Jefferson seems pretty automatic. We'll see if the if the Vikings want to make this game close by playing Jordan Addison over KJ Osborne. But uh, yeah, it's it's two dysfunctional teams, and I I don't know which way I expect it to to turn. Really, other than I I, and this is getting tougher t- to stand by by the week. But I have faith that Herbert can be the kind of quarterback who just transcends, wh- however stupid his coaches might be. And, you know, we've gone three weeks of that premise not being validated. So I'm kind of just that much more stuck to it, uh, hoping that it comes through this time. But it's not because I have a great, you know, basis of just assuming that it does happen. I mean, there's there's more questions with the charges than answers.
1: Yeah. And, and therefore, and, and, you know, they, the offense is, is different, but I think at the same time that there might be some takeaways from the Dolphins game that you can apply um, to the, to the Vikings here, you know, with with the dominant uh, pass catching group. I I think that might be enough to steer me towards the Vikings. I I think that we get a a high scoring game and the chargers find a way to charger it at the end and and the Vikings, you know, on on the, on the strength of Justin Jefferson going for like 180 and two touchdowns and, and Jordan Addison catching a long touchdown. I give me the Vikings here as, as uh, yeah, I'm very interested in this game, but I, I think both these teams are uh, on a road to nowhere.
2: Yeah. Agreed. Uh, one thing I got to say, I guess uh, the cam Akers trade definitely bad oh, yes. news, definitely bad news for Alexander Madison, just because um, part, part of why I was okay with Madison was that I knew Ty Chandler can't play. So it, it am I, is standing by Madison because I think he's above average as a player from scrimmage? No, I think he's probably below average uh, average at best as a runner, as a pure runner. And uh, I think it's it's easy to find a runner better than him. But Ty Chandler was never that guy. So I thought, well, yeah, the Vikings might get bored with Madison as a runner, but what are they going to do go to someone worse? No. So... Akers changes that because he might not be worse. He He's probably better than Chandler. I, I would say he's got to be better than Chandler. And yet, uh, even I would have to say, like he had Akers' production in the first two weeks this year uh, pretty crazy bad, and I I don't really have a... I don't know how to explain anything with that guy. Uh, he needs to play better than he had in the first two weeks to put pressure on Madison, but he's, he's so much better than Chandler, it almost has to happen. So what I would expect to happen here is... Madison becomes the passing down guy and acres becomes maybe like the lead runner. And what that would look like in an offense that doesn't run the ball very much is both players lose because acres still can't get targets. And Madison, while he would get targets needed something like, you know, 15 carries a game to make up for averaging only around four yards per carry. But one thing I had to say, otherwise though, Madison has been fine. Madison had a bad fumble. He dropped a pass in a game those two things he almost never does his catch rates sky high. He fumbled like twice in his career before that game. So he's been fine. And he otherwise had two buzzsaw matchup. The, the Buccaneers and the Eagles could easily be the first and the second toughest run defenses in the league. So the Madison hatred was totally out of hand. It was totally motivated by people who were whining about Ty Chandler being on the bench. Uh, yeah. It turns out we all lose. And uh, yeah, welcome
1: to earth. Uh, the tagline of the, of the great mid two thousands film Alien versus Predator. Whoever wins, we all lose.
2: Oh, I thought you were going to say, Welcome to Earth, uh, Independence Day.
1: Uh, you know, similar genre. Independence Day, uh, a far superior film to uh, Alien versus Predator. Um, I, I, I will uh, go on the record uh, with, with that take. Um, let's continue onward. Um, we've got the Patriots and the Jets. Jets, two and a half point uh, home underdogs against the Patriots. Uh, two teams that are just kind of bummers now. I think I think the, the Jets, <laughs> I mean, the Rodgers thing is just going to just kill them all, all year. Wilson just doesn't have it, period. And then uh, on the Patriots side, uh, I thought Mac Jones looked okay, but there's no, like, explosiveness in this offense whatsoever. I think the personnel dictates it that way, and I, I think also that they don't really – give it a try too much. I mean, I, I think I heard that the longest Patriots play from scrimmage was a Mac Jones scramble or something like that on, on Sunday nice. night. So that's that's just not going to get it done. Um, I think I, I like the Jets with, with the points here just because the defense. Um, but I, I mean, from a fantasy lens, I mean, it, what what's going on here?
2: Yeah, I got nothing. Uh, both defenses are really, really good. Like this could be the two best defenses in the league for all we know. And uh, the jets, I would say can run better. especially in the matchup, I think maybe the, I don't know, Stevenson projects really good against most defenses, but the jets run defense is so good that it's possible that the, the Patriots can give Stevenson 20 carries and he might not get 60 yards out of it. So when you're in that kind of position as an offense, you need to be able to pass the ball a little bit. And I don't know how we assume they do that. Exactly. I uh, got to look at their injury report again, but last week they were dealing with an insane amount of injuries on the offensive line. Like five of their top seven guys were uh, either limited or out. So that uh, let's see. I can't, I didn't check to see whether Mike onwenu practiced, uh, played last week, he's been practicing both of the first two weeks. They, uh, yeah, Trent Brown C- city South. So I should figure out how that guy, his name gets set, but uh, those guys Questionable, and what's his name, uh, Cole Strange? Still questionable, too. So, that's a lot of problems on the offensive line. And if their offensive line was totally healthy, they'd still have put problems dealing with this Jets front four. So, uh, could be a big game from Quinn and Williams. And you know, I expect the Patriots defense to play really tough, but whoever's on the field longer on defense is probably going to start slipping. And it's just a little easier for me to imagine that being the Patriots because the Jets can probably run on the Patriots, but not vice versa. So a very ugly game. I I don't know how we get to 37, honestly, but I kind of lean the Jets just because the Patriots very specifically need Zach Wilson to turn the ball over three times or at least one time for a pick six. That's the only way the Patriots can be safe here.
1: Right. I think so as well. So um, despite all of the the Wilson slander, I think they just – put them in the kid gloves and, and try to just win this one with defense and, and running the ball. So I, I will take the jets um, here at, as well with, with the points. Um, let's see beyond that. Oh yeah. And then also the, the Patriots secondary w- was very banged up on Sunday night. So that, that'll be something to, to keep an eye on. Um, if they're shorthanded this week, it probably doesn't matter, but going forward um, certainly a, a big storyline in New England, because that secondary when it's fully healthy is, is very, very good as well um, let's go commanders bills um, we this one's in Washington so you know you got to apply the same weather concerns uh, that you do in Baltimore bills six point favorites on the road here I like the commanders a, a good bit in this spot and if the weather stinks uh, who, who's going to be able to run the ball I give me the, give me the com- commanders to do that
2: yeah I would normally agree but I, I think Brian Robinson's real bad. I know he did uh got good numbers against the Broncos. I think the Broncos were just dead defense, uh whereas the bills, especially in the rain, I think the bills could play tough defense against the run. I know normally they they're not the toughest run defense, but I think that's in part because uh their whole defense is doing like a money ball kind of thing, and they they kind of uh they patch up some of their weak spots in the secondary by not prioritizing the run defense so If they're not prioritizing the pass defense and if if it's rainy and you're against Washington, I don't know why you would. Then I think that the Bills can play the run tough. But six points, six and a half points, that's a different matter. Like you're talking probably turnovers bridging, you know, the gap of what you lose from the projected passing games on the two sides. But that would include the Bills, you know. So uh, Josh Allen's rushing production stays there. Maybe James Cook keeps something going. I don't know. I think mostly last week it was just the the Raiders defense isn't any good and got worse as the game went along. Uh, I would expect cook to struggle, especially if it's a close quarter game, especially if it's a messy field. I don't think you can bank on much from him. So what I'm getting to is kind of like Josh Allen's rushing projection versus Brian Robinson's. And I think I prefer Allen's.
1: Oh, Hmm. well, no, I could, but not for six points, I
2: guess, I guess not six and a half points. That's a, I need Howell. Well, the, actually, the, the, maybe I do like picking the bills to cover because Howell has been bad about avoiding sacks, and if he holds onto the ball in a rain game, that's turnover. You know, time proper that, proper noun trademark.
1: That's uh, that that certainly could be the case. I'm I'm going to stick with Washington here, mostly because I I need some confirmation bias. I. I I was out on the bills coming into this year. And I I don't think that uh, beating up on the Raiders at at home really proves anything.
2: I agree. The the Raiders are busted. The the bills offense didn't do anything impressive, but uh, I think the bill's defense is still good. So that's, that's uh, that's what Howell has to the, why Howell has to stop, you know, holding onto the ball and, and, you know, can't be taken late
1: hits in the rain, basically. Yeah, no. So he's definitely going to have to be careful in this one. Um, do we think that D- Jahan Dotson gets going a- at all? Um, you know, game conditions, whether, uh, not um uh, 12 targets so far, lead the team, but just 5.2 yards per target.
2: The Washington offense has not been good is the bigger problem. Like they, they had what, like three good drives against the Cardinals. And then the Broncos were just totally busted f- wave the white flag. Uh, I like Dotson. I don't think it's his fault, but I have concerns with the Washington offense getting itself together. They've got some time. They've got the excuse of you know new starter, new system. Haven't been playing together that long. Those have been viable you know uh, excuses for some teams in the past, but they still you know don't get the benefit of the doubt in the meantime.
1: Okay, fair enough. So I, I'm I would probably consider benching Dotson this week, but I wouldn't be surprised if I if I check my best ball and, and he's in my starting lineup uh, type of dealio. Um, Let's go Seahawks, Panthers Seahawks, six point favorites in this one at home. Bryce Young, notably uh, did not practice on Thursday, did not practice Wednesday, has some ankle issues going on. Who could have seen this coming?
2: Well, I, um, I would have liked to see young in this game because I think it's his easiest matchup by far. I know it's a long Way to travel, but man, that Seahawks defense looks horrible like, really, really bad. And I don't know why, uh, I, I don't know what they can do to fix it. So, granted, I guess DJ Chark, uh, Terrace Marshall, they don't project as well against corners like Tariq Woolen as they would against, you know, a 5'11 corner. You know, I'd, I'd like DJ Chark more against DJ Reed than Tariq Woolen, so maybe maybe that Woolen and, and Jackson are tall, fast. Maybe they're a problem for those outside corner, uh, outside receivers, and maybe that pushes all the slack toward, uh, of course, the running game, but also Adam Thielen. Uh, I I think uh, Thielen well, Thielen could get to like a hundred yards in this game if the Seahawks defense keeps playing as as bad as it has especially if it happens in a scenario where again, shark and Marshall don't do a whole lot, but Miles Sanders is the one constant here. Like he, he's probably got to go over 20 carries in this game, even if the Seahawks are scoring points, like what else are the Panthers going to do? I I don't see anything else in that offense. So uh, yeah, it should be a big game for Sanders. And if it's not, then I guess the Seahawks win by like 50 points.
1: Uh, yeah, this one I, I'm having a hard time making heads or tails of as far as the, the spread is concerned. But um, fantasy wise, you know, I, I viewed Carolina all draft season as like basically Miles Sanders, the only one worth taking everyone else. I'm just going to leave by the wayside and Seattle. Um, we'll, we'll see if the offense gets on, on track. I would love to see some more Zach Charbonnet, but um, I suppose he hasn't really earned it yet uh, i don't know i've it's coming for, for him I, I i feel strong in that still even with the the light usage through the first couple weeks just seven carries but the the snaps increased from 11 to eight this past weekend so uh maybe if if the seahawks get up big charbonnet just kind of shuts the door um get some you know late garbage time production and maybe i'm just wish casting there though
2: well they got to get him going i mean they're uh Whatever reason they think they have for for handling it to the the way they have to this point, it's not real. Uh, I like Pete Carroll; he's better than most coaches, but he's he's also doing that thing where he's overrating what he thinks he sees in practice. It's like even the, even setting aside the question of whether you're evaluating what you think you are correctly, there's a high probability that it doesn't matter. Even if you are right, you know Charbonnet better than Dallas. You you give snaps, you give usage to Dallas instead of Charbonnet. Maybe you win, maybe you lose on that margin, but uh, you are not putting your best players on the field.
1: Yep. And that's been a bit of a recurring theme. And, and, you know, now we've got two games of sample, which may not sound a lot, but, uh, you know, we only got 17 games to work with here. So we got to, you know, have some takeaways here. And and some teams certainly uh, stick out in in that regard. Um, Let's keep rocking here. We got the Cardinals against the Cowboys. Cardinals, 12 and a half. Point home underdogs against the Cowboys.
2: Yeah, uh, I guess they made a bit. Uh, the Cardinals made a bit of a game against the Giants, but that they blew it the way they did is also, uh, you know, it affirms that they are as bad as we thought. You know, it, it, it's I had I was dangerously dangerously close to thinking like, man, they're they're better than I thought, and like, no. Only a team as bad as we thought the Cardinals were can blow it the way that they did against the teams like the Giants in that short amount of time. So the Cardinals, you know, they're not, in my opinion, plucky or uh, overachievers for any of this. They uh, reverted to the type that we supposed, and they they did it in such a rapid way that it's like we got to remember that they can lose, they can they can go down thirty nothing just as easily as they went, you know, up 30, nothing in that game. And the set, the going down 30 points is what will happen a lot more often uh, between the two. So why not here? Well, why not with Josh? I don't know how Dobbs has even done as well as he has, but I think the, the likely answer is defenses don't really care that much. Like they're just looking at Connor and making sure they have a safety over Marquise Brown and they're kind of leaving the rest to in curiosity, uh, maybe even running vanilla schemes on defense, just out of kind of disrespect for the Cardinals. So uh, that might continue here, but even when the Dallas defense tries to be vanilla, they might sack you six times. So I would take Dallas to cover, I guess uh, I know it's a huge spread, but it, the way I see it is if James Connor doesn't get to 80 yards, Dallas covers and maybe by more than 13.
1: Yeah. I, um, I would love to see what McCarthy's, um, Numbers are against the spread when when favored by by double digits because I, I feel like he um, <laughs> I'm not making a joke here but uh, maybe he can like play with his food a, l- a little bit here and and let some some overmatched teams hang around a little bit more than than he should.
2: I could see it either way, John. I could see it playing with his food certainly, or maybe I mean Mike has a bit of an ogre uh, ape man kind of aesthetic he might be the sort that bludgeons a helpless opponent well beyond any point of decency because his, his cave.
1: They they dropped a couple of those last year. Like that. They like, didn't they do that to like the bears? Like, just, Uh, I can't remember,
2: but they, they kind of did it by accident to the giants, you know, it's like they could, if, if, if Mike's like feeling it, if he's like, yeah, I want to go stomp on a loser team today. It's like, I don't know. Would, would that shock you? We have to yeah. we have to do a lot of psycho uh, psychoanalysis uh, uh, on this on this analysis. Sorry on this on this podcast because uh, it's not that interesting to talk about uh, the actual matchup of of the Cardinals and the the Cowboys. We have to wonder what's going on in that
1: noggin of Mike McCarthy's.
2: Much more interesting.
1: It's, it's a scary place. And yes, it was a forty nine twenty nine against the Bears last year, and forty to three against the vikings so um why not now yeah maybe that that can be him taking out some some bad feelings on his former nfc north opponents but either way um you know there's precedent here for for him uh not uh calling off the dogs um let's keep going here we've got the chiefs and the bears uh, another big lopsided spread here. Uh, Chiefs anywhere between 12 and 13 point favorites against the Bears who uh, find themselves uh, just n- not doing in a great, great spot. Not in a great spot. Yeah, uh, Bears
2: are doing great. And uh, Chiefs, whatever. I-, I don't know, man. It's uh, It's not looking great for the Chiefs, in my opinion. Their offense seems to have some real problems to me but the defense is pretty good. I think probably a little underrated on defense and no matter how bad it's going for the chiefs offense, it would be pretty shocking if they can't get something going in this one. Uh, I know that Pacheco's out, right? So it's uh, Edwards Hilaire. I know it's not exciting, but it should be enough. And moreover, the bears are a circus like we've never really seen before. And, it's a mess, man. I mean, when you have the head coach, Aberflus, just going up in front of the press and being like, anytime the press asks a question, like, why did this bad thing happen? Him going coyly, I don't know. It wasn't mine. I, you know, you'd have to ask whoever's in charge of that. It's like, why don't just own the team, dude? You're the head coach. Oh, t- take Take some actual ownership of any of this, and he just won't do it. And it sure seems like Justin Fields specifically got sick of seeing that over and over and started to say like, oh, it's just the coaching that's, you know, making it this way. Because that's what Aberflus was saying that Aberflus was saying not just, oh, it's the players. He's also saying it's my own coaches. I can't, I cannot be blamed for what my own coach does. And Justin Fields cannot blame me for calling a play that's stupid when he could audible it at the line if he wanted to, you know, just ridiculous and it's it's uh, falling apart the way you know, you would have reason to project a, a, a group of personalities, a, a culture like this, uh, weak, rotted. It's just going to keep falling and imploding
1: onto itself. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's gross. Um, it, it's not good in Chicago. You, you would have thought that um, Justin Fields' comments about the, the coaching yesterday would have been the worst thing that, that happened uh, for, coming from uh, Hallis Hall yesterday, but um, apparently not. Um, let's keep going here. We've got um, the Steelers against the Raiders Sunday night football. Uh, we've got the Raiders checking in as two and a half point home underdogs. So a good amount of, of home dogs uh, this week. So that'll be interesting um, on our gambling sample. But um, I mean, the, these two teams, where's the obvious strength on on either of them besides, um, you know, the, the Steelers? Front seven?
2: Well, uh, I guess I don't have a good sense for how well the Raiders travel specifically, but because it's Tomlin, just can't really uh, can't feel safe against him, even when he's got kind of a bad team. But the Raiders are maybe the bad team of these two, you know, like they might be worse. So uh, Garoppolo is better than Pickett, that's for sure. Pickett's so bad, but the. Steelers defense might be okay I don't know like they they especially if they find some way of dealing or do we know is Adams gonna play he's dealing with a concussion <laughs> protocol right so a uh, lot lot at stake with Devonte Adams's. oh no they're, they're saying that he's good after leaving the game okay so uh, I don't know how the Steelers with their corners playing as badly as they have are going to deal with Devonte Adams that should be an easy uh either an easy 100 plus for Adams, or it's like the Steelers would need to cut Josh Jacobs loose somehow to, to be rolling that much coverage help toward Adams. And, uh, you know, Josh McDaniels, probably a bad coach certainly has his limitations, but last year is he either had Jacobs going or he had Adams going crazy in every single game. So if, if the, if the Steelers try to account for Adams, McDaniels should know how to get Jacobs finally going in this game uh whereas with the Steelers it's like if if Harris or Jalen Warren doesn't do it then they're down to Pickens being a hero which uh Pickens is awesome like he made the play but the Browns kind of did a bad job on on the touchdown catch that Pickens had that was just textbook example of really bad pursuit so uh I'm not banking on Pickett getting a whole lot of help of that shape in this game and so it it needs to be the Steelers running game and I don't know uh I don't know. It's, it's not looking great there exactly. Like they can't get it going and then they don't stick with it and then they fall behind. And uh, Jalen Warren's done a good job on, on checkdowns, I understand. But in competitively meaningful situations, they haven't really been able to get stats from the running back position. And, uh, you know, with Pickett as your quarterback, that's a problem.
1: It, you know, we, we, we've said this about other players in, in other games setups. Like if, if not now, then when? I don't know if that applies more to any single player this week than Najee Harris against the Raiders.
2: It uh, could be. Uh, it, it's hard to see what could get better than it. But uh, yeah, one thing that I'll say is if a lot of people are clamoring for Jalen Warren to like push him aside, fine. Give, give Najee Harris's carries didn't Jalen Warren. And when the next 20 carries get you 50 yards, what then should we switch back? Like what, mm-hmm. what do you, what exactly is the end point that these people have in mind because the stuff where Warren catches you know a a twenty yard checkdown on third and twenty one that's that's not the basis. It's not plays like that that you should be making your understanding of the game out of. like you should you should be paying attention to competitively meaningful situations and, uh, yeah, stats accumulated by actually uh, beating the defense rather than specifically being allowed to do something by the defense.
1: Yeah, so it's um yeah, it, it's you definitely see a a very like kind of thinly veiled bias of just like the people clamoring for Warren or are the, are the people that were uh, just fading Harris and they just want to get him out of the way. But like you said, it when there's an actual offense and actual game situations going on, like Najee Harris is still the, the most talented running back on that roster. Although you know, got to say. That dude has no uh, no explosiveness to, to speak of. It seems. Oh no,
2: yeah, and I didn't I didn't like Harris as a first round pick. Uh, I, I you know people are saying he's Steven Jackson. It's like Steven Jackson is quite fast and you know ten plus pounds heavier. Harris was a guy who was always going to need to get by by volume. He was not going to be explosive. So it's just uh, if he doesn't get the volume, it's kind of like a policy choice decision to me. It's like you chose to not give those carries to somebody, and if if you're going to make that decision why did you
1: want him here anyway? Precisely. All right, let's go to the two Monday night games and we'll wrap up here. Um, Eagles going down to Tampa Bay face the, the two and O Baker Mayfield led Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, you're saying Baker. uh, I thought about it. I I, I, I knew, I knew it was anticipated. I had to, you know, (laughs) Zig where everyone's zag and everyone knows, uh, everyone knows the bits. Um, Buccaneers, they're only four-and-a-half-point dogs at home. I think that's one of the more kind of uh, on, its, on its surface, kind of a surprising line that might steer you uh, towards the Eagles. I'm going to take a look-see here. Uh, looks like 67% of the bets are coming in on the Eagles to, to win that one. So lopsided, but not as lopsided as some of the other ones that we're seeing. Like the, the Dolphins, for instance, drawing 84% of the money. Titans, 75% uh, Packers. 73% and Seattle 79%. So bear all of that in mind, those numbers coming from DraftKings Sportsbook via our friends over at VSIN. Um, but again, we got what could be kind of an interesting game, at least according to the spread in this one. And, you know, I, it's hard to know exactly what to make of the Bucks. Uh the, the Eagles are, are 2-0. and I would say that they haven't looked quite like They did a year ago, just yet, but I think they've certainly earned benefit of the doubt. But the Bucks are no pushover. I think we we can at least say that much through two weeks.
2: Yeah, and if Carlton Davis is healthy, I guess I could see how the Buccaneers make this closer than than most expect. It's just uh, you know, it's it's easier said than done. But I think if you can do two things against the Eagles' passing game, you can put them in a tough spot. Uh, you need to shut down the sidelines vertically. You gotta stop uh the go route, the double move go routes. Those the, the play that Devontae Smith made downfield last week, uh the plays that AJ Brown is known for making downfield most weeks. You stop that, and if you stop the underneath screen type plays for Hertz, he doesn't have many throws. Like he's he's pretty much a, a bubble screen and a go route guy, uh, with the exception of when you you give them so much cushion for fear of the go route that you leave a wide open curl or slant or something like that but if you can play it a little bit both ways i don't think Hertz can make the full assortment of throws through the full assortment of like processing scenarios that most quarterbacks have to and if you can just shut down those two things what without selling out your run defense then i think you can get Hertz to have one of his bad games like he more commonly had in 2021 and uh, I think he showed a little bit of it even these first two weeks, but it's the Vikings defense sucks. So uh, the, the Buccaneers quite a bit different. They can play a game that I think is challenging for Hertz. Cause if, if they have Carlton Davis outside uh, they tell him, you know, you're not doing press man quite like usual. You're just running the sideline. You, you, you bump and then you run the sideline. And if they check down, we'll take our lumps doing it and see how it goes. But if you can play that sideline tough, they have Antoine Winfield in the middle of the field. And he could. He's probably. He's just like an all-purpose problem for an offense. You know, it's like I, I would say something to the effect of like he's good at this or that, but he's just Winfield's one of those football players who will find a way to make your day bad no matter how he has to do it. And I think he, if, if those corners are are doing good job on the sidelines, Winfield's going to be looking at pretty much just Goddard and Hurts. And so finding the point where the Eagles get a trump factor is it's a little difficult for me. Because the Tampa Bay run defense, you know, it had a bit of a year off, a bit of a year hiatus, but they have Vita Vay again. And as much as the Eagles interior is the most feared in the league, Tampa Bay's defensive interior is still really tough to run on. So if you can't bank on the run game, bailing out hurts, if hurts has a bad game, what do the Eagles have at that point? Um, still probably win, but. Uh, they've played it pretty cl- close both of these first two games, in my opinion, and I think
1: uh, they need to play better here, or they really could lose it. Yeah, so I'm I'm going with the Bucks here to 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 cover that number. Um, you know, the the fantasy interests on on the Tampa Bay side aren't overly actionable. I mean, if, if you don't have a Mike Evans or a Chris Godwin, I don't know what you're really looking at for from this offense. Be, beyond that, uh, maybe that's a bit short sighted, but. That's just kind of how I'm viewing it, especially against a, a very tough um, Philadelphia defense. But I, I think that uh, the Bucs will be able to keep this one close, make this one a little bit uncomfortable uh, for the Eagles. I, th- I think, you know, your points about the, the Bucks defense, um, I, I'm waiting for the rest of, of the football intelligentsia to, to uh, catch up to it. Because I, I think you are right that, that getting Vea back um, and, and, you know, Winfield being what what he is at this stage of his career there's some playmakers on that side of the ball and obviously have a defensive minded head coach. Um, let's round it out. We got Rams Bengals, and a, a quick correction on my part that the Steelers are three point road underdogs. I, I, I think I might've stated that they were favored in this one, but it's actually climbed a little bit over the course of the week with the Raiders um, opening as one and a half point home underdogs. And now uh, it is uh, two and a half point favorites for the Raiders. Um, again, finishing it out here, we got the Rams going to Cincinnati since two and a half point favorites burrow status, obviously up in the air, influencing, um, that this line.
2: Yeah. Burrow can't be right. So with that, if it is still the case, pretty much all bets are off with him and everything we've come to expect from the Bengals offense. So I don't know. I, I, I I thought the Rams offense would struggle more this year, but uh, Puka Nakua, I I don't really understand how the usage is happening this way, but uh, it's happening rapidly enough that we, I just have to think, say like it's, it's, it's real somehow. And maybe it's one of those things like he just works so great with Stafford and it's, it's all improvising between the two and maybe it wouldn't work with anyone else, but 35 targets on 127 snaps is pretty insane. And uh, it's, it's the kind of insanity where it's like he, his target rate could regress some exceptional amount and it would still rank pretty high. So his returns at Wells returns, they've been good. The offensive line hasn't bit them yet. Stafford's playing out of his mind. Burrow can't play at all. So I need to know either something changed with Burrow's calf this week, or I think the Rams are the better team on the count of, they have one of the best quarterbacks in the, the Bengals have a player who would not be allowed to play if his name were almost any other. So I, I don't know how to call it. If, if Burrow is able to function as a football player, very different question. But if Stafford's the only quarterback in this game, I don't know how the Bengals are so favored.
1: Yeah. Give, give me, give me the Rams here, basically regardless of Burrow's status. And, you know, I, I feel like we've seen enough bad injuries on, on Monday night football so far. So let's spare Burrow that one let's uh let's let him rest rest that calf up you know what uh, uh bravely saying that I will watch Jake browning on Monday Night football if, if it means that we can get some like decent burrow the rest of this season because because like you said right now looking out of sorts even when he's back out there um if burrows unable to play what are the do the bengals have any chance is there any recourse that, that they have to to make this one um salvageable
2: well, if it's the Burrow of the first two weeks, then Browning's an upgrade, you know? So uh, that's the issue. Burrow is not himself. He's he's not physically capable of resembling himself. It either changes with improved health or, uh, yeah, I, I think he, if he plays while not being better, they
1: are just going to lose. I feared that much as well. And then, uh, I guess, big fantasy storylines from the Bengals' side of things. I mean, do you bench Jamar Chase and T. Higgins this week?
2: <laughs> it's pretty tough. Uh, I know Higgins got going last week, but I don't know how you take for granted that he keeps it going. I I can't bench either one. I, I guess it's one of those things, too. It's, it's, it's likely that if you bench either one, whatever you're putting in their place, I guess, unless you have Puka Nakua, uh, <laughs> I don't know who you have that's likely to give you what you need for your budget to work you know, as a, as an overall squad. So I, I would keep them both in, even though I guess I can't really, I don't know. I guess I can't criticize someone for, for going away. I just, I don't have it in me.
1: Yeah. So we, uh, to, to be clear, I suppose that was a bit uh, wild of a, of a question. We have both chase and Higgins as top 20 receivers this week, but chase fifteenth, Higgins 20th. So that, that, that's a good, like kind of reframing, uh, of where they are, you know, whereas chase most weeks is probably gonna be top three on our, on our receiver. Rate. Right. Big, and not much worse than 12.
2: Yeah. So, uh, keep them in. And I guess let's just hope burrow gets, uh, whatever the, the, the latest stem cell, whatever it is. Kind of, he's got to go, go down have... to Panama
1: like, uh, Jake laser.
2: Um, what, what did, why did he have to go to Panama?
1: Uh, I think he had some sort of disc thing and he's like, Look at me now, boys. I'm springy because my Panamanian cells running around.
2: Well, uh, sounds maybe a little bit legally questionable for for some reason that I can't anticipate. But uh, whatever <laughs> works works. Uh, get that, get those uh, black market contacts working until yeah, will
1: quarterback again. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, that's going to do it for us here. On the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, again, big thanks to our sponsors over at Rival Fantasy, over at Better Vision, and Vivid Seats, as well as our uh, hosting platform over at Blue Wire. For Mario Puig, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your week three, everybody. Try Rotowire today, free for ten days. Get our premium tools rankings analysis and breaking news alerts no credit card required go to rotowire.com forward slash try
3: everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35 magnesium will help you rediscover balance energy and vitality